Church, let me invite you to open up the scriptures with me this morning to Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 14, as we continue uh, our sermon series from the gospel of Mark. We'll have this Sunday and just a couple more, and we will wrap up the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 14 today, as the journey continues. You know, it's no secret that the last couple of presidents to be elected in the United States have been rather polarizing uh, figures. Uh, Both Presidents uh, Barack Obama and President Donald Trump have elicited hate from some uh, and love uh, from others. And in the wake of news announcing uh, either of their victories, uh, it wasn't uncommon to hear those who oppose their election to voice uh, their concerns and their resentment, saying things such as, well, he's not my president. Uh, And you know as well as I do when uh, such is our sentiment that we're better off looking ahead to the next election cycle and hoping that there is a candidate that better suits our fancy. But at this point that we come to today in Jesus' journey, those around him begin to say and begin to solidify their sentiment that he is not their leader, that he is not Uh, their president, so to speak. He is not their Messiah. He is not the kind of man and figure and leader and king that they want to follow. What they fail to realize and recognize is that his status isn't up for debate. His status is permanent. He will not be up for re-election in a few years. He is the one whose dominion knows no bounds. He is the one whose kingdom endures forever. And rejecting this king is no small matter. But even so, as Jesus journeys to the cross, those around him, all those around him, begin to reject him. Total rejection envelops him. So let's look at the text together. We'll be in Mark chapter 14. I'll begin reading in verse 53. Last week, we were with Jesus in the garden looking at Jesus' prayers to the Father, Jesus agonizing over the wrath that He is about to endure, the judgment that He is about to endure for uh, the sins of the world. In between that passage and where we begin today, Judas the betrayer shows up and he leads uh, a crowd, an armed crowd, to arrest Jesus in the night. Jesus succumbs, He uh, surrenders to them. And his disciples scatter. That's where we pick up the story today. So let me invite you to join me standing uh, out of reverence for the word that it is that we are reading. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 53. God's word reads this way. It says, They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. And some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days will build another not made with human hands. Yet even then, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men 
are bringing against you. But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Skipping down to chapter 15, verse 1. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked them, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Let's bow in prayer. And Lord, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to gather in your name, to open your word, to read your truths. Father, we pray that you would guide us now by the presence and the power of your spirit. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and ask these things. Amen. The church, you may be seated. So after a secret arrest and a hasty trial in the wee hours of the morning, the plot against Jesus crystallizes. The sentence is announced by the governor, crucifixion. Crucifixion was designed to be a humiliating and torturous way to die reserved for the worst of criminals. A bloody public spectacle, a prolonged death that usually ended in asphyxiation or shock. Church, the cross on which Jesus died, the cross demonstrates the depth of human depravity and the breadth of Christ's devotion. The cross of Christ emphasizes, demonstrates, reveals the depth of human depravity, human evil, immorality, the depth of human depravity and the breadth of Christ's devotion. On the cross of Jesus, these two truths converge, they collide, they come together, and we cannot have one without the other. First, human depravity. Church, sin distorts our discernment. Sin distorts our discernment. 
sin and the practice of sin, exposure to sin results in a numbing to sin that ultimately distorts our perspective of the truth. For in AD 33 at Calvary, the only one to ever live a perfect life, the only one to never sin, never to lie, never to steal, never to lust, always perfectly loving everyone, is condemned to the death of a criminal. Almighty maker of heaven and earth shows up in the flesh. The one who rules over life, the one who sustains life, comes to earth and he is condemned as the worst kind of criminal, pronounced guilty and on his way to the cross to experience crucifixion. How could this happen? Friends, sin distorts our discernment. It distorts our perspective of the truth. All in this particular story are portrayed in a negative light except Jesus himself. For all ultimately reject and abandon him in his his darkest hour, in his darkest moments, characterized by planks of pride in their own eyes, leading them to fail to look on Christ with the proper perspective. Some are threatened by him. And those who are threatened by Jesus want to destroy him. They want to get rid of him. The threatened want to destroy the truth. The threatened want to destroy the truth. So verse 53, the religious leaders, the religious elite, Jewish religious authorities get together, the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law, they come together and they begin to plot against Jesus. Verse 55, we see that they come together wanting to put him to death, but they couldn't find any evidence against him. Verse 56, they begin to testify falsely against him, but their statements don't agree. You see, the very ones that were entrusted with knowing and teaching the Word of God missed the Word of God when He showed up in the flesh. His ministry, His message, His miracles was a threat to their positions of power and prestige and comfort. He had to go. And I wonder, friends, have have you ever wanted to destroy the truth? Have you ever wanted to eliminate the truth or some component of the truth? Have you ever wanted to get rid of what God said about you fill in the blank? Sin distorts our discernment and leads us down such such a path. God, I I know that adultery is, is wrong. But surely looking at pornography and engaging in immorality doesn't really offend you that bad. After all, it seems to be everywhere. Jesus said, look on another woman lustfully and you have committed adultery in your heart. Or or God, I, I know that your word clearly speaks out against numerous things, one of which is homosexual practice and behavior. That was a different time. Things have changed. I know people who identify and practice this way of living and they're friends of mine. They're good folks, kind-hearted people. Surely that couldn't be wrong. 
Jesus said, for this reason, God made them male and female. I know Jesus instructed us, the Word of God tells us, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we know that the Israelites were commanded to welcome in the alien and the stranger, to help provide for them, to care for the least of these. Surely that has nothing to do with the way I treat people in my own day. It doesn't have anything to do with the way that I regard immigrants or foreigners or others, the least of these in our, our land today. Church, let's beware of our own attempts to destroy the truth, for, dis, for sin distorts our discernment. And the threat, and those who are threatened by the truth, when we are threatened by the truth, we want to destroy the truth. And another group of people, the afraid, the fearful, are ashamed of the truth. The afraid, we see here in God's Word, Mark chapter 14 and 15, are ashamed of the truth. Let's back up just a bit to chapter 14, verse 50. Still in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is betrayed by Judas. He surrenders to them without a fight. Verse 50, then what happens? Then everyone deserted him and fled. Verse 51, a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Whereas he didn't care how he had to get out of there. He was getting out of there. He did not want to be identified with Jesus in this moment. He knew that Jesus was in trouble. He didn't want to be in trouble. Let's skip down to verse 66. The story continues. When Peter, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But Peter denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. Verse 70, we read again, Peter denied it. Verse 71, he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Jesus' closest friends, his followers, abandon and reject him. They desert him in his darkest moment. Afraid that a similar fate, the fate that obviously is headed toward Jesus' life, Fearful that a similar fate will fall on them. They're ashamed to be identified with them. Are you ever ashamed of the truth? Ever ashamed of the truth? You know, many in church culture today want to claim the love of Christ. Sometimes we get rather timid or ashamed to fully identify with some of the other things Jesus says. Perhaps his emphasis on suffering or sacrifice or humility or judgment, hell being the the only way, the way and the truth and the life. See, the threatened want to destroy the truth. The afraid are ashamed of the truth. There's another group of people, the greedy, who here ignore the truth. The greedy ignore the truth. Of course, Judas reflects this position. Judas, supposed friend and follower of Jesus, one who's been with Jesus for a number of years now, has listened to him, who's watched him, who's identified with him, now abandons Jesus. He betrays Jesus for some money. 
I don't think Judas is the only one that falls into this category. I think in this story, perhaps Pilate also falls into this particular category. For here is Pilate, the governor, employed by Rome, knows that Jesus hasn't done anything worthy of death. The religious leaders, Jews, had a great amount. The Sanhedrin, the ruling council of Pharisees and Sadducees, had a great amount of authority when it came to exercising judgment and leadership over religious matters among the Jews at the time. But one thing they could not do was condemn to death. They could not crucify someone. For that, they needed Pilate's approval. So they bring Jesus to Pilate, and Pilate recognizes that Jesus has done nothing worthy of crucifixion. In fact, he even says, Mark tells us that uh, Pilate recognized that it was uh, out of self-interest that the religious leaders wanted to get rid of, of Jesus. He tries to convince them to let him go. But in the end, what does he do? Verse 15 of chapter 15, it says, Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. I don't think Pilate just wanted to satisfy the crowd for the crowd's sake. He wanted to satisfy the crowd for his own sake, for his own comfort, for his own status, for his own position, for his own well-being. For the greedy want what is best for them in the moment. Church, sin distorts our discernment so much so that we reject the very one who made us and who came to earth to, to save us. But despite our depravity, despite our sin, despite our evil, despite our wickedness, Jesus surrenders to save sinners. That's good news. Jesus surrenders to save sinners. You know, many people often lose their lives without their consent. Tomorrow's the anniversary of 9-11, most horrific terror attack on U.S. soil in recent history. These people had no choice. They showed up that day and they stepped into a plane or they stepped into Twin Towers, they stepped into the Pentagon not knowing what would await them and may the love of God and the comfort of Christ Peace provided by God's Spirit, comfort the family and friends of those who lost their lives on that day. Friends, when Jesus shows up in Jerusalem, He has a choice. He knowingly steps into what He is about to endure. He knew what awaited Him. And even so, He chose it. He chose it out of love for you and love for me. The cross demonstrates the depth of human depravity and the breadth of Christ's devotion, His devotion to us. For Jesus is the truth and He speaks the truth. Jesus is the truth. He is the way and the truth. According to His own confession, He speaks the truth. He is the truth and He speaks the truth. He's rejected, but he still doesn't sin. He's falsely accused, and he doesn't attempt to retaliate or even correct. 
He simply surrenders and succumbs, knowing that this is part of God's plan. He continues to confess the truth. He continues to speak to the truth. Mark 14, verse 61. Again, the high priest asked Jesus, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Chapter 15, verse 1. Very early the next morning, the chief priests, the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. They bound Jesus. They led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. It's the darkest moment. Life on the line. Jesus continues to witness to the truth. Continues to speak the truth. He is the truth and speaks the truth. And he is king, yet he submits as servant. He is king, yet submits as servant. Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? The truth is that Jesus is not only the king of the Jews. He is the king of kings. He is the one who rules and reigns over the nations forever and ever. When he refers to himself as the Son of Man, Mark 14, verse 62. Which, by the way, we've seen in Mark's gospel. According to Mark, this is Jesus' favorite title for himself, Son of Man. When he uses this title, he's alluding to Daniel chapter 7. It speaks of a Son of Man who will receive all sovereign power and glory and authority. Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. You see, this Son of Man, this Son of God and Son of Man, Jesus Christ our Lord, is the one who rules over the nations of the world. He is the one whose reign endures forever and ever and ever. And even so, at the heart of the religious festival commemorating God's deliverance of his people from his slavery in in Egypt, Jesus shows up, the king of the world shows up and he humbly stoops down and gives his life on the cross of Calvary for sinners, sinners like you and me. He is the truth and he speaks the truth. He is king, yet he submits as servant and he is judge, yet takes our judgment. He is judge, yet takes our judgment. See, Mark 14, verse 62, Jesus' words here allude to Psalm 110. Where David has uh, a revelation of, of a Lord, a master sent from God who will rule over David's life. Who will sit on his throne, who will be given all authority and power at the right hand of God. One who will come as a judge with armies at His disposal. And Jesus is saying here, Mark is saying here, the Scriptures are saying here that Jesus Christ is that righteous judge. He is the faithful and true One who is King yet submits as servant and who is judge yet takes our judgment and goes to the cross motivated by love, love for for His Father, but also love for you and me. For God so loved the world 
those in the world. He so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, church, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John witnesses to that truth, not only in John chapter 3, but First John chapter 4, verse 10. He says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Church, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Receive his love. Let's receive the love of Christ. Receive Christ's love. For as long as we are here, as long as we are on this earth, as long as the king delays his arrival, as long as the judge tarries his judgment, we have opportunity to receive the love of Christ by repenting and trusting in Jesus for salvation. Receive his love. The love that led him to the cross. The cross that demonstrates the depth of human depravity and the breadth of Christ's devotion. In church, when you think of the cross, as we think of the cross now, as we prepare to take communion, may we feast on Christ in our hearts by faith. And we feast on Christ in our hearts by faith in the King, faith in the Messiah, faith in our Savior and Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity again to gather as your people, to open your word, to sing your praises, to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would continue to speak to us and lead us and prepare us to remember and proclaim Christ's death until he comes again. Forgive us where we fail you. Guide us to fix our eyes on the sacrifice of Christ in our place for our sins that we might have life. Lead us now, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.